0: It is Monday, last week of August. We had such great conversation last week. We spoke about a lot of things. I mean, there's a lot happening from the border all the way to our front step. You know, we cannot say that enough. Now, I bring up the border because I don't know if you knew this, but that situation down at the border is just a matter of time before that is exasperated. the word I kind of pronounce (laughs) is the reason why is because it's really easy to blame people who are leaving their countries, you know, pretty much from countries where you know, they've lost a lot of great things, you know, or opportunity didn't have it, whatever it may be. A lot of strife. And so they leave their countries and then they decide, oh, well, I'll move to America and I'll have it better. Now, if you think your life is hard in America got to think about that for like five seconds. Why would people do that? Why would they migrate? So today we're going to be talking about who profits from gentrification. CJ here and this is The Sound of Black and Brown. Also with me is Mr. Manny Camacho. So Manny, I'm starting off by just recounting all the things we've been talking about and you know from the border to our doorsteps there's just so much going on. I feel like When we talk about gentrification and who profits from it, to me, it's impossible to have that conversation without mentioning, at least for 15 seconds, the impact of gentrification on undocumented people. That's me. What are some of the things that you think about when you talk about gentrification? Just like broad topics, no detail
1: yet. Um. Yeah. No. I uh, let me see some broad topics of gentrification. I think about displacement. Uh, displacement of people. Um, in the different areas that gentrification happens, I think about um people being taken advantage of. Uh, I think about things like. Uh, people's lives getting uh, pretty much getting categorized and kind of shoved in this uh, this, this price tag, right? How easy people and uh, their entire lives and, and and just generational uh, roots in a certain place. And all of a sudden, it is simplified to a simple price tag, right? Uh, So, yeah, so displacement, putting money on people's roots uh, and their lives. Um, And then just on top of that, I think about just the overarching fact of going somewhere Taking it over, kicking the people out. And what does that remind me of? That reminds me of the one thing that this country has done for so long in its history imperialism and colonization.
0: I mean, right on. I'm, I'm there with you. You know, I think about that too. I do, definitely, because I don't see how you can have any type of conversation about gentrification without bringing up the history of this country, which is why for me, when I hear that word, I think about, you know, the people crossing the border, just like you said, I think about the people who have to deal with slumlords, I think about the people who were displaced, the original people who were displaced, that's a Big-ass word. That word right there. I don't know if people really understand that word, Manny. Do you? Could you give people some perspective on what that word means?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Displacement. Now, some people like to uh, sugarcoat it, right? try and make it sound like it's not something that is so... Um, how do they try and put it? That is not something that, w- one, has the negative connotation uh, that it should have, right? So they, they try and use it negatively you know, a couple times, but they don't acknowledge the fact that displacement comes in so many different levels, right? Displacement can mean just you moving out of your house all the way to displacement of, like I was saying, that generational roots, right? That, that family that has lived in that certain place for 50, 60, 70, 80 years, you know? sometimes even more, and displacing them, right, from place, taking over 90 years, all those generations that occurred in those 90 years, and just getting them out of there, right? So, you know, what it is is, you know, by definition, right, if you want to say the, the real definition, is the moving of something from its place or position, right? Displacement, I mean, you displace something. But we also have to realize that the real definition of how we're talking about it in terms of gentrification, then you kind of, you got to tweak the definition a bit. Yes, it's moving something or someone, Wait a, minute.
0: wait a minute wait a minute so pause right there so you just said something huge you said displacement is one thing but then it takes on a whole different stain for black, lack of a better word
1: mm-hmm. when you
0: you add gentrification in there why is that what's let's pause what is gentrification
1: oh what's gentrification ah Gee, Cj <laughs> um let's see how, how do I how do I put in the most simple terms possible um, okay all right There's, there here's two definitions simple definitions I'll give to gentrification how the people who use gentrification this is what they'll say this is their definition of it it's the process of making someone or something or somewhere where you know whatever the object is in question more refined or respectable right that's the definition they use like oh well this is not gentrification you know it, it's uh you know we're just we're sprucing up the place. We're making it more refined. We're, we're adding a couple good things to the whatever, right? But, 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 the real definition or, or that I would say, you know, when black and brown people uh, talk about gentrification and the effects of it well, here's the definition. <laughs> sprucing up the place yeah gentrification right is the process that a oftentimes a poor urban area is changed by wealthier people moving in and out of that, come in the form of improving housing, making those luxury housing, attracting new private businesses. But it, but keep in mind, in, in the process of doing all that, right, adding luxury home, private businesses, private companies, workers, etc. also key components of gentrification is in the midst of doing all of that, they displace. The current inhabitants In that process
0: Manny You know you're such a nice person Y'all you know what This guy right here (laughs) You know I'm sitting here and I'm I'm like "Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm Yale Just you know if y'all want a live Living example Of what he's referring to Yale is it It literally is it you gotta look at the history of Yale. You gotta look at how it was founded. You gotta think about the original indigenous people. Um, if I'm not mistaken, his name is now Paul an indigenous man who was beheaded and his head was placed directly in front of New Haven City Hall, right? Because we, we just went all the way back in time there. So you gotta know the history of New Haven, where it started as a port. And here come the white people and they place attack on the indigenous. And here comes Yale, founded by a bunch of white boys, right? And very colonial past. Very colonial. You can't from the way Yale was built to the way it operated, everything. To this day you still see remnants of it. You could look there and you could see it from, you know, the walls to how things are structured. But most of all in terms of structure, the development that took place. Literally what he's saying is what Yale did. Yale came into New Haven. Yale seized an opportunity. Why would they build a campus when the campus could just be the city? And now, over time, the black and brown people especially who lived in the city, who survived by working at the mall or at the downtown, you know, um, fast food place, Dunkin' Donuts, Burger King, you know, the people who had jobs at the newsstands, the people who worked in the retail store or as security guards, cleaners, they all lost jobs. Okay. They all lost jobs because when the mall closed down, um, you know, they had to figure out where they had to go. I mean, some of these places closed and people had nowhere to go. But also too, as Yale grew, So did its campus, so did its hold and presence in certain places and spaces, literally gentrification in action. And look who paid. Now, the whole purpose tonight that we're going to push, and we push it all the time, is you have to hear the voice of the poor. Because, Manny, what I don't understand, and I'm looking to you as the young, astute, positive gentleman that you are, because he is, Um. You know, with all the basic needs, especially out of COVID, people cried out they needed better education, rebuild the schools. You know, we need better transportation. All these things came up right at, you know, that that point where we reopened society. All these concerns. Everybody was so concerned. Everybody was so worried. And even though most, if not the majority of those needs were ignored. You know, we need more affordable food. We need real jobs. There's a lot of work and poor people who are highly educated. Don't make a mistake there. You'll be very surprised to find out how many educated black and brown people there really are in New Haven. But add to that, the fact that even though all these needs are, you know, can we get some type of utility assistance, please? Can we get, you know, some type of support? Where's our support? You know, those are all getting ignored, but somehow gentrification makes the budget. What do you think about that? What I just
1: Well yeah, I mean and, and I def I wanna echo <coughs> exactly what you said. Um, is that So many people don't realize that in the black and brown community, in our inner cities, right, we have so many really intelligent people, really intelligent, I mean, and and very wise and and just filled with knowledge, right? But it's not recognized enough. So I I definitely want to echo that, right? and 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 you know, I mean, it's a whole different topic. But you know, one of the main reasons that they're not recognized enough because they don't carry degrees and have titles and doctor in front of their name, right? So, not really given the recognition, the acknowledgement. Wait, wait
0: a minute, pause right there. Pause right there. Is it really? I know we say that because as we talk, we always think of new topics, right? But in this context is it really a different topic or is it a subsection of the bigger i would say actually, I would argue yeah. it's a subsection
1: you're right no you're definitely right because because actually actually you actually you just kind of like brought an epiphany really yeah i mean because you think about it in the in the process of gentrification right Again, how they use their definition of refining and, and making, you know, the city or, or certain places or the, or the community, right, more respectable and refined and whatever terms they end up using, right? <laughs> <coughs> yeah, you have a great idea. <laughs> um, so, right, and, and that, that process, they say, you know, of making the community better, yeah, we, they end up displacing a lot of, you know, again, our inner city residents and our people in our community, our neighbors. who again, really knowledgeable, uh, extremely intelligent, wise, know a lot about a lot. And yet they're not given that recognition, right? Like I said, because they don't have those titles, right? And But, but what do we see? Who do we see entering... Our inner city communities in the process of gentrification. We see people with those titles, right? Doctor and this and PhD and MD and EDD or whatever, all these different degrees or whatever, right? And, well, I don't know about you, CJ, but in my experience, having a degree, you know, or a PhD or a doctor in your name, I've come across a couple people where you're not as smart as that degree.
0: (laughs) It's like a damn Christmas decoration. It's just sitting there. I'm I'm sitting here and I'm like, you know, I'm agreeing with you because it's true. Like, I value tertiary education, don't get me wrong. I myself hold titles myself. However, what what you're saying there is on point because I think that that's a form of gentrification in of itself. I cannot tell you. Yeah. Um, being on jobs and working with people who allegedly have XYZ. Like, I've worked jobs with people who are supposed to be social workers and they treat people like shit. How the fuck does that work?
1: Yeah. How? So right about that. You are so, so right about that.
0: And and you go to uh, you school know, with it- them too. You go to school with them. Like It's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you go to school with them. You see them at the office. You see them when you're at, you know, at the store. Like, they think that they're in this separate category. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you are. You're a separate category of asshole. Because, you know, I mean, let's look at it like this, right? (laughs) Separate talking, speaking of separate categories of asshole, Look at what's going on with Kanye West. Let's just look at him for a second. Here's a black man who obviously was very close to his mother. I think nobody's disputing that. Nobody disputes that after his mom died, or very few people will dispute, that after his mom died, he seemingly, you know, he, his depression took life. Right? I mean, you have bonds with with certain people for you know reasons only you and them know sometimes, but some of these bonds are really tied and true, and the thing about it is is like with Kanye, here he goes from saying that he wants to run for president, and that you know all these other things he evolved right in front of us, like he went from somebody whose songs I would listen to. Back to back to yeah, I still rock you know some of his music, but I don't tolerate him the same way. Like he, his inner asshole in unfolded right in front of us, right? And yeah, for real, <laughs> for real. like that's just this my thought on him there. But now you have Cornell West running for office, right? A whole different man. Why is he getting treated as though he's Kanye West though? Does that? Makes sense. Do you see where I'm coming from with that? Like, I kind of feel like he got lumped in this space that he doesn't belong in. Like, I think people are underscoring him quite a lot. And that's an educated black man. But look at that, even with the education, look at whose impression made a bigger impact. How do you feel about that?
1: I mean, we see, unfortunately, we see that all the time in society. We really do. Um and there's so many examples, right? So many, um, where it's it's so unfortunate. It's so unfortunate that so you know, and and again, I mean, I I'd have to be like deaf, blind, and dumb all at the same time to ignore what's was just so blatantly right there in front of our faces, and. It's the fact that this happens predominantly and almost almost all the time to the black and brown community, right? Where for whatever reason, one black or brown person will make it to the national stage or state stage or wh- whatever, right? They just end up making it to the public eye. Right? And then they do something, and yeah, it's not the best thing. They end up looking crazy or whatever, right? <laughs> whatever. And then you have, uh, you know, another black or brown person make it to the public eye, and immediately they are now judged simply because of the prior person's actions, right? And mind you, they, they, they don't have to know each other. It wouldn't even be in the same field. It's not even the same subject category. It, I mean, it could be completely opposite, right? I mean, it could literally happen one side of the country, another, and the other side of the country. Like, as far as possible as possible, but for whatever reason society looks and they say, well, this person did this, right? Here you are. And and let's be honest, this is pretty much what they're saying. You look exactly like the other person, (laughs) right? So you're pretty much going to do the same thing. And it's just, and it's that immediate judgment and chastisement, right? Simply because of what that other person did, and and again, it happened to the black and brown community, and so yeah, so that's why you have someone like Kanye, who made it to the national stage, and, and you know this field of politics, whatever, taking someone for president, blah blah. I'm not gonna even go there because. I've had so many arguments with that. <laughs> but he did. He, he went there, made a show of himself, blah, blah, And then, you know, and so everyone, you know, criticized him and now he, you know, joke or whatever, whatever, people have their opinions. And you have another person who comes, right, and educated and, like, completely opposite, right, of Kanye was, And yet, facing the very same judgment and chastisement and not giving the credit he deserves or the acknowledgement or whatever simply because of what this other person did and again you know that you know it's not just on the national stage it's not even on the state stage it's it's a it's like local right it's it's every stage you can get that's just how it is for the black and brown community
0: No, it's true. And you see, bringing it back to the gentrification, right? That's basically what Yale did. Yale shows up here, looks at everybody and says, well, you know, you and you did this. So the rest of y'all will do that too. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to let y'all work here. We're going to give y'all a couple of jobs, make y'all happy about that. But really, we're going to make this suitable for ourselves. And that's that's the basic genesis of gentrification. It's a narcissistic way of housing. It's a means of resource development that suits only a finite population. And it's a tailor's owner well slavery. I mean, at the end of the day, the pioneer of gentrification was Christopher Columbus. Y'all could fight me on that one, right? But that's who led the way. He made it a profit center. He made it where no matter what, no matter what, gentrification will hit that budget line. Why? The separation of wealth is very, very key to power and placement. Let me say that again for the people in the back. The separation of wealth is the key, one of the key elements to power and placement. You cannot, you have to separate the oil from the water. Because otherwise, if you have the oil mixed with the water, what you're going to have? You're going to have some type of salad dressing maybe. But you're not going to have the kind of salad dressing that will suit everybody, would you? But then it, it depends who's mixing the oil and the water, doesn't it? Right. We have all these people from Yale and places such as Yale. We just we want to give Yale all the the floor here because it's not just Yale. We're seeing the gentrification increasing at a time, right here, right now, where we're seeing more and more ten cities. I'll tell you something else, Manny. Uh, someone I know, imagine that I know people, recently returned from a little trip they took to Las Vegas. Now you think about Las Vegas, you think about the casinos, you think about all of that going on. Would you really think about going to the casino and on your way there seeing tent cities? Would you really think about being on your way to like a high-end casino? Maybe you said to yourself, I want to go check out Gordon Ramsay's restaurant. I'm going to go to this one right here. And on your way there, you see these tent cities. What would you think about that? Why would that be okay? What's-
1: well, yeah, I mean, you know, that's that is <laughs> that is pretty much America in a nutshell, right? It's look at that Las Vegas, right? It's a place. Where anyone who thinks of it, it's like money, wealth, gambling, casino, rich. You know, it's just every, everything that has to do with luxury and just money, right? And yet in that place or just outside that place is homelessness and poverty. And suffering, right? Um, And and that stays true for so many other places other than Las Vegas. You go to Washington D.C., right? Literally, you know, what's been deemed is the heart of the country. It's where the government is. It's it's where the entire country is run, (laughs) basically, and yet you will see homelessness, you will see tents, you will see people sleeping on benches in the parks. And so, you know, that, again, is a representation of how America operates. You're damn right, I mean,
0: it's a tale, it's, it's I love how you're saying that. Uh, Sorry, I had to jump in there because it is the way America (laughs) operates.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? That is the way America operates, and people need to understand that. Okay? You have all these elected officials driving down the same streets that Manny and I drive and walk down. They're seeing the same things we're seeing. But somehow, means to gentrify makes the budget lines and it's replaced by, I don't know, Manny, an outcry for utility assistance, job assistance, food assistance, housing assistance. Do you think that we could undo this? And if so, how-
1: Well, <laughs> as, as I always say with any other issue that I, I, I address and I talk about, I always say I hope Right. Uh, I hope we can address it, and I hope that it is something we can fix. Um, and yeah, if you look at all the facts and you look at it logically, like the the margin for actually fixing this is very very slim. But but if there's one thing I have learned is still hope. I still hope to fix it. So, yeah, in that hope.
0: But what does, uh, but wait a minute, I want you to pause right there. What does fixing gentrification, I mean, you won't know everything, right? I'm not asking you for that. But in your view, if Mm -hmm. you had to tackle gentrification, what does that look like?
1: So, so, so if I, so this is, this is, Say, I was a legislator, right? Or a mayor or a governor, right? Uh, people in positions that usually are the main contributors to allowing the gentrification process to happen. Because uh, you got to understand that. You have to understand that people like the mayor, people like the governor, people like senators, so, like, you know, those, those people who end up being in those rooms with these companies, with these entities who want. To gentrify places, these are the people meeting with them, right? So, if I was in one of those positions, um, and I would immediately start to shift the, and not only shift but mitigate the uh, margin of opportunity for these private companies, for these private sector companies and private sector entities. To come in my state or my city, right, in order to, you know, build those luxury apartments, create those private sector businesses, and and, and those private sector businesses, they start outsourcing, right, the, the jobs uh, and, and getting workers from different states, instead of from into the community, right? Um, so not taking those meetings, right? Not signing those contracts with those private companies and those private entities, right? And in doing that, right, once you start rejecting and saying no, (laughs) really, you know, just, just having the courage and the confidence to say no to these private companies, you then have an opportunity to do like you said, CJ. Start focusing and creating policies, and programs and initiatives, for housing programs, for food sustenance programs, for businesses to be opened in the community. And instead of outsourcing their workers, start hiring workers from inside the community, from you know, outside workers that mostly live right around the street from the from the place, right. Instead of a worker who has to drive two, three hours from out of state because you don't want to hire people from the community. Listen,
0: you hire that's a big, big thing you bring it up there. That's a big... I don't think people really realize, like, I'm glad you brought that up because I think one of the things that should happen, it's a doable thing right now, the cities should only be allowed to hire people from in the friggin' city. And you should have been a resident of said city for at least five years because that lived experience matters. I also think that if instead of investing into policing and, you know, a bunch of construction that will just create more, you know, issues for people, air quality issues and add to the climate unfriendliness. Right. Because that's another thing. The city needs a break from all this continual development because it does affect health and it does affect our environment. But you could take that as an opportunity to do other things. Like, for example, go have a conversation with the utility company because we don't have many choices for utilities and say, listen, you made all this money. like like Think about it. UI and the gas company did not stop charging For gas or electricity. Neither did any of the other utility companies. You still had to, if you want a cable, you had to pay for your cable. Even if they gave you an extension or they had the, you know, they weren't going to do cutoffs or whatever, at the end of the day, they still expected people, despite knowing that people did not have the money to pay for said fucking utilities. I didn't walk outside and say, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to just go ahead and um, unload this pandemic that will cause people to not be able to work, people to lose their livelihood and just obstruct life. You know, I'm going to force everybody to, we didn't do that, but we had to live with that. And not all of us had a savings. It's very fucking expensive to be poor in Connecticut. So I think that what you're saying there about who they hire is big. I think that you know, they could sit down with these utility companies and have these conversations. I also think they could bargain backwards. And here's, I'm looking forward to your thoughts on what I'm saying for sure. Because here's one that I was thinking of as you're speaking. Why hasn't the city scouted, you know, sites for businesses? What am I talking about? In other words, you have all the data right there at your disposal. You could actually find areas, business, you you could decide where business districts could sit, okay? Instead of allowing slumlords to have all these different areas and saying, well, we're allowing that slumlord that rhymes with Andy to, you know, use Section 8 in Westville because that way we're not, you know, we're reversing gentrification. That's not how that works. What will work is, is if you take a list of the abandoned buildings as well as a list of all the buildings that have, you know, declining occupancies. Make a grand list and start bargaining with people. The city has the power to do that. You're the one that's setting all these different rates. You have the power to bargain back. You see a business that's coming to set up shop. You know fucking well that that methadone clinic don't belong there. You give them choices and say, no, 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 no. We can let you do this here, but here here and here. How you feel about those policies if I was to put
1: Hey oh, right, I, and that's actually that's, that's something I've said so many times, right? It's the fact that, you know, there are so many spaces in this city that aren't being used. Right? Uh so many abandoned buildings, so many just empty spaces that are filled with you know, just construction materials or just trash or just, just it's not being used the right way, right? Um, and so one of the, like, I try to emphasize this is, you know, the, the city and so many people talk about well, there's not enough opportunities and not enough spaces or whatever. And I, I sometimes think to myself, are we looking at the same city? Like, are we are we driving into the same city? Are we driving on the same streets? Because there's so many buildings that can be, you know, obviously renovated or just tore down completely, but end up being spaces that generate profit for the communities for the city, right? That profit can then be turned into funding for these programs that we need, and so like right? it's it it could be a whole pipeline of benefit. Right for the city, for the business owners, and then ultimately, you know, for the you know the people who need these programs that we're talking about, right? So it's like I know so many people have businesses, right? And and they're entrepreneurs, and they have really great ideas, ideas and products that absolutely would make money. That absolutely people, if it was a store, if it was a place, people would go, and 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 you know. They would, they would buy things from and they, they'd help contribute to the growth of the business, but there's no space for them, right? A lot of these entrepreneurs are either operating from inside their homes or they're just showing up you know, as vendors at, at events and like that's the only way they can really network and market their, their products and right, their business. But what the city should be trying to do, you know, instead of giving those, those abandoned buildings or those empty spaces to, again, these private companies private entities who just want to build luxury things in the process of gentrification, right, should be saying, okay, let's get this building, let's, let's renovate the building and demolish it, whatever you need to do, right? And realize, again, we have so many of these businesses that are here in the community, businesses that come from community members, from people who live here. I'm not talking about business from Norwich or, or Old Saybrook. No, these are New Haven residents who are entrepreneurs. And so the city should be saying, okay, these are entrepreneurs who are New Haven residents. What can we do to help them? Because in helping them, we're helping us.
0: I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one they could have done. What they could have done instead of allowing IKEA to set up shop in that area, you could have made that like a pop up business spot, create like a whole space where during the day, like an open flea market. So if I have a table and some goods and I'm a small business owner, I could come there. It's like a, you know, an expo. Mm
1: -hmm. If I'm a
0: startup business, I could come there and I could do my thing. Why the fuck was it okay to put Ikea there? Think about that. Who do you know that goes to Ikea all the time? I definitely don't, right? I go there once in a blue moon, dead ass. It was it was fun for like five minutes, and then people just lost a taste for it. Because the truth is, most of the stuff that they sell does not fit the demographic that it's amongst, mm-hmm. right? You buy a bed, the damn thing fall apart in five minutes.
1: Oh, my gosh. <laughs>
0: okay, Okay, I didn't even. Don't get me started on the futons. The (laughs) furniture is not. (laughs) It's not made for someone who has a couple extra, you know, fatty tissues in the the buttocks like I do. It's not made for that. You gotta sit on that, and you have to sit like you're taking a shit. Like so, now you go to IKEA, and if you was in a good mood and you're a plus size person, you're wearing your little shirt and whatnot, and you're feeling good about. You go in there. And you feel like you have to eat lettuce for the rest of your life because everything is like five sizes too small, right? A lot of the colors are very monotone. They're not like social colors. They have no flavor to them. Very modern, European, whatever the fuck you want to call it. But the point that I'm making, not saying that Ikea doesn't have good things because there are a couple items I'll get from them, you know, a couple of odds and ends, but I don't go there religiously. But that's space, manny. Look at that square footage it took. And who really profited from that? Because that's another example, right? We see this in different states, and it's coming, right? Like, look at what's going on at the border right now. Let's talk about that for a second. That's incoming gentrification. Because what they're going to say is, just like they did with Section 8, again, I said this before, I'll say it again, know your history, people. Section 8 was created as a way to... Provide housing assistance to the veterans. What happened was, at the same time, black and brown people started to actually move up. Did you know that? So at the same time, we're talking back in the 50s, right? Late 40s, early 50s, black and brown people now they're starting to actually make money. And they're buying houses. That was the problem. See, that became a problem. So the government realizes, what the fuck? All these black and brown people are starting to buy houses. And they're not just buying houses, but where they're buying the houses. So this is a problem now because now they're moving into guess whose areas. So somebody comes up with this idea like, wait a minute. You know those Section 8 vouchers, those vouchers we're giving the veterans? Why don't we call them Section 8 and we say it's housing assistance for everybody? All right. Yeah. And we'll target these communities. Yeah, that's brilliant. So now we have the boom of the Section 8 industry, right? And it is an industry. Best believe that. That is an industry in and of itself. Now, with the immigrants who are coming across, the undocumented people, what the fuck do you think they're going to do now? What do you think think is going to happen? Look at where they're coming into. They're coming in through Texas. Think about what's around there. We have 10 cities popping up all across California. They have one of the largest unhoused populations, right? So what do you think, if they created Section 8 back then, Manny, what do you think they're going to create now? Oh, jeez.
1: You know, I, I think about that, that statement right there. And, it, you know, I, I get two emotions from it. I get mad, but I also get sad, right? Because I'm mad because I know that this country, the you know, people who sit in the seats of government, will absolutely do whatever they deem necessary to stop things they want to stop. And they use the power and the seats that we put them into to do things that a lot of us just just would never even fathom would be possible, right? But it saddens me because it's it's so unfortunate that people who are coming here to seek better lives, right? And I'm not saying, again, I'm not oblivious. I'm not oblivious to the fact that that doesn't cover all of the people coming into the country, right? I, I don't see the world as rainbows and sunshines, you know. I know that there are people coming into the country who are coming in for not so great reasons, right? <laughs> I know that. We all know that. But like we were saying earlier, why are we judging other people based off of another person's <laughs> actions, right? That overgeneralization that we do is so so toxic it is it's so bad. So I'm sad because there are people who are coming here for better lives. And when they come here, they are met with such resistance. They are met with active attempts to, to stop them from coming here and to send them back from the places of of real, real suffering and real torture. Places that you take a United States citizen, you know, lived here their entire life, and you put them in those countries for a week, and see if they'll be able to survive. See if they don't gain a better appreciation for the country that they're in right, that they're from. And yet, you know, here we are, and with almost no heart, we stop them. We call them criminals. We call them aliens, right, illegals. I mean, just all these really negative, connotative statements. And the people in power again, will create whatever they can in order to stop whatever they want to stop. That's just the truth of it. That's that's the history of this country. It's been done time after time again. And unfortunately, it's something that will keep happening.
0: Well... He put it the nice way as always, thank you, Manny. Um, let Let me add to that. So follow the economics people. These folks are coming into the country, right now we're at a time in history where housing in America is not very affordable. It's skewing and the separation of wealth is getting greater. So it makes sense If you, you know, take from what Manny just shared, it makes more sense why you're going to see all these images showing you all these people crossing the border. Why? Guess who that scares? Guess who looks at that and says, well, my God, if that whole family just crossed the border, where am I going to live? If I can't get a job now, where am I going to work? It builds that image, right? Remember, we're going into an election year. The Democrats are being pressured from all sides to give a solution to this housing crisis. They can't seem to come up with a solution, not one that suits everybody. See, that's the first mistake. Why are you trying to look for something that will suit everybody? It's not going to go that way. But again, it comes back to the separation of power. It goes back to who has what, You know, it's all these different layers to this shit, because that is how it goes. There's different layers to it, right? But at the end of the day, it's all about power and privilege and placement. If these people, like he said, these people really wanted to solve the housing inequities, they could do it. Yes, they could. There's so many lots of land that are unused, unowned and unused, Okay, You have all these lots of lands. You have all these abandoned houses. Drive around your local city and look at that. Look at these abandoned houses. You're talking about the houseless. But we have all these people who own property. both developed and undeveloped and underdeveloped property. That's just sitting there. Why are you just letting it sit there? But then you chase me through the woods for a fucking parking ticket. That's not making sense to me. But it makes sense to them. Because that unused house creates a blight, and a blight becomes whose problem? Look at where those things happen. Look at the middle to low-income neighborhoods now. Because, you see, it's no more middle, low, and, you know, uh, high income. It's high, highest, middle, low to middle, and then low, and then very low. It's different layers to this shit okay? All right? COVID just exasperated, that big word, a problem that was already there. We have a housing affordability problem, okay? And we're not holding these banks accountable at all. How come all these banks still get in a pass? Why is that? Because you got to follow the money, follow the wealth. Money creates wars. The fact that all this media coverage is being given to the undocumented. I mean, literally, you're seeing different views of people just literally crossing across the border. Why do I need to see that on four different stations? Why does that image need to be there? Because it it protrudes what's to come. Because now the Republicans, because remember, the Republicans, they're trying to protect their assets right now. Their boy might even go to jail, so they're trying to save face. So to do that, they're going to try to find the policies where they could kick the Democrats in the nuts. And this is why, coming back to the you know city officials, this is where you're letting us all down. Because right here in your own city, you'll sit there and talk about who lives matter. But then you also sit there and sign off, like Manny said. Don't say that you don't know about these things. Because you fucking do. And you do nothing about it. And now the separation of wealth is getting greater and greater. And you will see that more and more what that really means. We have a lot of Dems who just should come out and be Republicans. Just just do it. Save us all. This country needs to do better by the way it strategizes. You see this again. All of this comes back to the setbacks of a two-party system. When you have... The main party being the Republicans, because that was the first party. Do you do your history research? If you doubt me, go you know go look it up yourself. And out of the Republican Party was born the Democratic Party. So when you sit there and you purport all this bipartisanship, guess what you're really doing? You're just going back home. So when you talk to me and you 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 say that, that's what I hear from you as a you know as a black immigrant. You just want to be back with that. And I think people need to realize that because guess who's profiting from the gentrification? Manny, if you had to guess, who do you think is profiting from the gentrification?
1: I mean, I could give you a list of who's profiting, but I can, in one one phrase, tell you who's not profiting from gentrification. Us. Us. Black and brown people that are the ones who have to deal with gentrification. We don't profit from it. We don't gain anything from it. The only thing we gain is things like displacement. <laughs> um, who does? Uh, I say, one, again, the private sector companies, the ones who are building the luxury apartments, You know, the one, two bedrooms for $2,000, right? <laughs> Rent. Uh, the city, who ends up signing the contracts with those, uh, you know, those private entities and those private sector companies. Right? The state, right? When you're talking about the bigger companies, I said on the local level, the state level, right? The governor, when he signs the those those private sector companies and and by profit, you know, I don't I don't think people realize we you know we're not just talking about money, right? i not talking about they're just profiting on, on a monetary aspect. I don't know, they profit, yeah, they profit monetary wise, right? But profit and support, right? Because obviously those private sector companies and entities are gonna end up supporting. You know, these, these people when election time comes around or, or when they need things done, right? Oh, absolutely. You, you can bet on that. You can definitely bet on that. So they profit with support. They profit in getting certain data and statistics that they want. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? Because you want certain numbers to come out of your, your city or your state or whatever, then, yeah making some contracts, making some deals with some private entity, you know, uh, companies or private sector companies to come in and, and spruce things up, right? By, by putting in luxury and outsourcing workers and stuff. Oh, yeah, you're going to get those numbers you want, right? So absolutely. Yeah, and so they get support. They get monetary, uh, you know, uh, profit. They get that data statistics. Right. Um, and then just overall. Right, it's it's that, it's that innate greed, right? Oh, absolutely longevity. Oh, that oh, right. Thank you for bringing that up. That that's a given. That actually probably comes before all the other ones. Longevity, right? But that and uh, well, I was saying you know that innate greed that these people have right of just wanting to keep taking and taking and taking and selfishly profiting and gaining from these exploits right oh that is that's probably to them the greatest profit that they can get from gentrification so yeah, and, you know, it's those type of people, right? It's it's the companies themselves, right, who, who are coming to, you know, the cities and the states or whatever. So it's the companies, it's the owners, right? It's those people. It's the people in those seats of power, right, who make those contract deals and allow those companies to come in and all that. It's the people who, uh, you know, who who for whatever personal reasons or business reasons or whatever need gentrification to happen, right? Property owners or or you know, again company owners, politicians, right? The common theme of just people who either own things are in seats of power or they're wealthy. Right? So the kind of those three categories, and you choose whoever, you know, fits into what category. But those three kind of main categories, those are the people who will definitely profit from gentrification.
0: That's you know that's on the nail, and you know people need to think about this because as we draw near to elections. Right? All these biases that y'all have towards the undocumented and the working poor and the poor and the very poor. Or will they have section eight? Or will they have all of this stuff? You try being poor and see how you feel. Okay? You try doing it. You try living in a neighborhood where you have the qualifications to do the job, but your internet sucks. Why? Because repairing your line was not a budget line item. But opening a new jail was. You try going to school where the ceiling looking like it about to fall in and feel motivated with that. That doesn't make the budget line. But figuring out how much money we need to spend on another highway that we don't need, that makes the budget line. Do you see what I'm saying, people? Right? And you have the power to collectively challenge these things. But you have to call it like you see it. This election year coming, The people need to take the streets. The people need to lift their voices. Enough of this show and tell bullshit. Enough is enough. I'm not impressed when I see Yale show up and talk about the care about anything. Because if they really, really did, they would actually say, you know what, New Haven? We're going to give you back your land and we're going to relocate. Or make me even happier and pay taxes. That's a constitutional thing, by the way, just in case you were curious. And it is something that could be changed. If we all decide to challenge it next legislative session, that's not a bad idea. Think about that. How much more separation of the oil and water before you say enough of this shit? That's what I wanna know. Well, Manny, before we tune out, any closing
1: Yeah, um, you know, I, I think it's important for people to be aware that gentrification comes in so many different forms and appearances. Um, I, I think that's something that not enough people know. Um, it doesn't just come in the form of luxury apartments coming into your community or private companies coming into your community. No, no, it goes so much further beyond that, right? Um, So gentrification applies to so many aspects of life. I want people, uh, I would wish that people start to become more aware and uh, astute to, you know, how many forms gentrification comes in. (laughs) Because when you really find out and you can identify, you know, the, the, the different forms that it comes in you'll see just how common it is and how much of your own community has already been affected by it. Um, so so I, I definitely wish for people to, to know that that it, it comes in so many different forms, forms you wouldn't even expect. To I want people to know, like you said, uh, that the people who aid and contribute to the gentrification process are the people you elect people you literally cast your vote for. Um, so, as I said in so many different episodes, right, be careful, be very aware, and be informed when making that very, very powerful move that you have in casting your vote. Because the person you vote for can either contribute to a problem like gentrification or help combat it. So be careful, be careful and just be informed. Um, oh, and, and then just lastly, in knowing those two things, take it upon yourself to be like me, be like CJ and so many others, and find your own way in helping to combat gentrification or bring awareness to it, or whatever capacity you wish to fulfill when addressing this issue. Because it takes us, all of us, to, like CJ said, go out on the streets, take up the stand, speak out, um, in order to hold the people accountable that need to be held accountable, and face an issue like gentrification.
0: That's amazing, as always. You know, this is why... You know, it's so important for us to give the youth a platform, give them give them a a chair. All right. Let them have a couple, a few. Let them be feel let them feel comfortable to share. Some of the best ideas you probably didn't even realize you thought of came out from actually hearing something from someone else. Right? And right now our youth are, you know, their voices aren't really being heard. I think that coming out of COVID and all of us, you know, bitching and whining and adapting and everything else. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have done that, but I think we need to take five minutes and realize that if this is how we feel, how you think our young people really feel? How you think they they feel about watching their parents or caregivers or anyone else, you know, um, struggling to pay rent, struggling to keep the lights on, having to move this lamp over here because this don't work over there, or... Living in a house full of 10 people. How do you think they feel about that? And we need to give that room. And we also need to realize, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up, Manny. Because, again, this is something we're just going to keep saying it, right? You don't feel comfortable protesting. That's fine. It takes a village. Everybody in the fucking village matters. From the person who goes out to the street to the person who writes the idea to the person who helps paint something. There's different ways. Write an op-ed. Write a comment on a newspaper article. Start a post. Start the conversation in your own house. Start talking to your kids about gentrification or the younger people you know. Ask them what they do they even know what that is? And if they do, what does it look like to them? What does it sound like to them? Right? Give them an opportunity to be heard. I didn't say we have to agree. We don't always agree. Right? But that's how you form great ideas, right? I might look at gentrification as just, you know, a bunch of businesses moving into my area. But like he said, it's much more than that. Why do you think you only see certain stores in certain areas? You know, the funny thing about it is during COVID, just in case y'all forgot, didn't know, or didn't care, during COVID, when people were fighting up to get things like laundry detergent, you know, I don't know, plates, cups, Soda, rice, basic little food things, toiletries. Some people couldn't make it to Walmart. They don't have the transportation. They had no choice but to go to the inflated corner store. No choice. Because they have no type of transportation or access or anything like that. But do you think that that store was allowed to be there by mistake? If said store, we've seen the same type of store every few feet. You think that was done by mistake? Conveniently enough? You think conveniently enough in that same location or near about it will be at least one slumlord? Like he said, gentrification has different shades. So take off your sunglasses and pay attention. I can't thank you all enough for your continued support, encouragement and empowerment. We really, truly appreciate your solidarity. Please continue to like, subscribe, and share the podcast. And if you have any ideas or want to propose something to be discussed, let us know. Check us out. Keep it going. And most of all, just remember, you matter. And you're important. And you know what? Fuck it. We could do it. That's all for now. Fist up, smile on, CJ.